Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 86, uh, and we are recording this here on October 15th, 2023. This podcast is for entertainment only, is not investing advice, so please do your own homework. All right, well, we got a lot to go over this week, uh, so we will jump right in here with the market update. Wall Street wrapped up a volatile week with a mixed performance from stocks while investors sought safe haven assets such as U.S. Treasury bonds and gold as the Israel-Gaza war looked likely to escalate going into the weekend. Israel's military ordered more than a million people to evacuate Gaza, indicating the start of a ground offensive. Traders welcomed remarks made Friday by FOMC voting member Patrick Harker, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, who said he does not expect interest rates will need to be raised further. Financials eked out gains amid overall positive sentiment in the sector after the Q3 earnings season was kicked off by reports from J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, and Wells Fargo. Bellwether JPM announced another quarter of record net interest income amid elevated interest rates. The lender also bumped up its full year net interest income guidance. Shares of Jamie Dimon-led bank rose almost 2%. Wells Fargo also put in a strong net interest income performance with shares adding 3%. Citigroup, which leveraged Uh, which delivered revenue growth in its five core units, ended the session with a decline of 0.2%. Treasury yields were lower on Friday after their big jump in the previous session. The 30-year Treasury yield ended the week at 4.787%, while the 10-year yield closed down at 4.62%. The more rate-sensitive two-year yield was down two basis points on Friday to 5.05%. For the week, the Dow Jones posted a 0.8% gain and the S&P 500 added 0.4%, but the tech-focused NASDAQ fell 0.2%. So uh, long end of the curve is uh, going uh, back up and the short end of the curve is not going up as much. So it's what they call a steepening, which is usually a sign that... uh, I don't know, recession's on the way or something's something's going to break. But the banksters are doing great, so good for them. Uh, looking ahead, investors will aim to look through the fog of war headlines next week to recalibrate as economic and earnings releases pour in. The U.S. retail sales for September are forecast to show a small increase in the core rate from August, while reports on industrial production and housing starts are also anticipated to show incremental month-over-month gains. Those reports will be followed by a key speech by Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell on October 19th, uh, as the blackout period for Fed speakers ahead of the next FOMC meeting rapidly approaches. The Q3 earnings season also kicks into high gear next week with Tesla leading the charge. Other earnings reporters with the potential to shake up their respective sectors include Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, AT&T, Netflix, Bank of America, and Taiwan Semiconductor. Okay, moving into the Bitcoin news, uh, starting out 
This is from Bitcoin.com. This was just updated uh, today. Uh, and this is the week in review. First piece here, analyst warns of U.S. dollar collapse, predicts Bitcoin owners to benefit. Global financial services firm Jefferies has warned of, quote, the collapse of the U.S. dollar paper standard to the benefit of both gold bullion owners and also owners of Bitcoin. An analyst from the firm explained that the Federal Reserve and other G7 central banks, quote, will not be able to exit from unconventional monetary policy in a benign manner and will ultimately remain committed to ongoing central bank balance sheet expansion in one form or another, end quote. Uh, oh, our favorite Bitcoin hater, Berkshire Vice Chair Charlie Munger warns most crypto investments will go to zero. Warren Buffett's right-hand man and the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, Charlie Munger, has expressed his belief that the majority of cryptocurrency investments will become worthless. Regarding Bitcoin, the executive opined, that was the stupidest investment I ever saw. <laughs> uh, gotta love it. Well, he's not wrong about uh, all the other shit coins. They, they're going to zero for sure. Um, but Bitcoin, um, I think he understands it. I just think it's uh, an existential threat to to the fiat system that he built all of his wealth on. And so therefore he just uh, doesn't like it. Uh, next here, American economist Jeffrey Sachs heralds end of dollar hegemony. Central bank digital currencies will become the basis of payments. Jeffrey Sachs, an American economist and best-selling author, has stated that the end of the dollar's hegemony is near and that central bank digital currencies will become the basis of cross-border settlements. For Sachs, the abuse of the U.S. dollar as a geopolitical weapon is one of the factors that will contribute to its demise in the coming decade. And last, inside Caroline Ellison's explosive testimony, former Alameda CEO accuses SBF of directing fraud at FTX. In bombshell testimony on Tuesday, Caroline Ellison, former CEO of Alameda Research, accused Sam Bankman-Fried of directing herself and others to commit fraud under his leadership at FTX and Alameda. Taking the stand in a red dress, Ellison stated Alameda took several billions of dollars from FTX customers and used it for investments. Uh, nothing new about the Ponzi scheme. Uh, it's just uh, the only thing's new is the wrapper. And uh, FTT coin, I guess, is, was the new wrapper and uh, trading accounts and all that good stuff. But uh, I have another article also to go over on that uh, Caroline testimony that I thought was interesting to share this week. Moving on, uh, Bitcoin.com, this was posted, looks like yesterday. Um, JP Morgan CEO warns of the most dangerous time the world has seen in decades. The chairman and CEO of JP Morgan Chase, Jamie Dimon, issued a warning during the release of his company's third quarter 2023 earnings results that the world may be encountering the most dangerous time in decades. The war in Ukraine, compounded by last week's attacks on Israel, may have far-reaching impacts on energy and food markets, global trade, and geopolitical relationships, the J.P. Morgan boss detailed, emphasizing this may be the most dangerous time the world has seen in decades. While in insisting that U.S. consumers and businesses generally remain healthy, 
Diamond cautioned that persistently tight labor markets as well as extremely high government debt levels with the largest peacetime fiscal deficits ever are increasing the risk that inflation remains elevated and that interest rates rise further from here. Moreover, the JP Morgan chief noted that we still do not know the longer term consequences of quantitative tightening, which reduces liquidity in the system at a time when market making capabilities are increasingly limited by regulations. Last week, Diamond explained that there are two extraordinary storm clouds happening today that may have bad outcomes for the U.S. economy. He similarly said that the fiscal money being spent in the U.S. is so big, the largest in peacetime ever, with very high deficits and QT we've never had. The executive also recently warned of stagflation and that the Federal Reserve could raise interest rates to 7%, emphasizing that stagflation is the worst outcome economically. He warned if that happens, you're going to see a lot of people struggling. Um, yeah, he's not wrong. Uh, these are definitely troubled times. And uh, it's interesting because I read an article or uh, Lynn Alden uh, writes a newsletter. It's free every month. And uh, she talked about concepts from engineering um, uh, systems and, you know, whether you have a stable system or an unstable system. And uh, I think what she intimated in the article is that our monetary system is, an, is behaving like an unstable system. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, if uh, uh, you step back and look at it, it certainly is with what's happening with the bond market, stock market, et cetera. So um, what is the exit? Bitcoin. Moving on, uh, let's see, we have an article from Bitcoin.com. This was posted three days ago. This is on the subject of taxation of uh, Bitcoin cryptocurrencies, a topic which I covered this week in my Substack, which I will talk about at the end of the podcast. This article is entitled, Seven Senators Urge Treasury and IRS to Rapidly Implement Crypto Tax Reporting Rule. Senators Elizabeth Warren, Angus King, Richard Blumenthal, Gary Peters, Bernie Sanders, Sheldon Whitehouse, and Brian Schatz sent a letter to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and Internal Revenue Service Commissioner Daniel Warfel on October 10th concerning cryptocurrency taxation. We write regarding the Treasury Department and Internal Revenue Service's recently proposed rule concerning tax reporting requirements for crypto brokers, the letter begins. We, were, we are alarmed by the self-inflicted two-year delay for the rule's implementation, which would contravene the requirements of the Bipartisan Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, disadvantage law-abiding Americans, and cause the federal government to lose out on billions of dollars in tax revenue. The lawmakers emphasize, adding, we urge your agencies to limit this troubling delay and implement the final rule as swiftly as possible while maintaining the rule's substance in the face of industry attacks. The reporting rule requires brokers to provide crypto users with the information they need to file their taxes through a modified 1099 form and provide the IRS with income information from crypto trades so that would-be tax avoiders are easier to track down, the senators explained. Moreover, the rule defines brokers to include any party who facilitates crypto sales while in a position to know the identity of the seller and the nature of the transaction, the letter clarifies. 
Limiting any further delay in the implementation of the administration's proposed rule would combat industry efforts to evade regulation, provide clarity to law-abiding taxpayers, and generate billions in tax revenue from a chronically tax-avoidant industry. Oh, there you go. I had to know as soon as Elizabeth Warren was the first person on the list. The lawmakers noted, adding, accordingly, we request that the Treasury Department and IRS implement the proposed crypto broker reporting rule as rapidly as possible and ask that you provide an update by October 24th, 2023 on your efforts to do so. Well, those crypto people, they're always trying to they're always trying to get away with something. And there's all this tax money that's that's out there that we're going to get our hands on. Um, typical. Um and hey, if you buy Bitcoin and hold it um, and don't trade it, you're fine. Um, plus, I mean, you kind of already have to report. Um, I mean, if you if you truly are a law-abiding citizen, you're keeping track of your trades and you're uh, reporting them and in your tax return. And, you know, so I don't understand what the big deal is, but uh, I think it's just another angle to uh, stymie uh, Bitcoin adoption in the U.S. and continue to create doubt, so doubt, so uncertainty. Um, and that's fine. They can do that. Uh, next article is from CNBC. Uh, this was published on October 12th. Um, secret recording of Caroline Ellison meeting with Alameda staff exposed in SBF criminal trial. In an all-hands meeting on the evening of November 9th, 2022, Alameda Research employees gathered in a circle to listen to CEO Caroline Ellison, who was sitting on a beanbag. It was 11 p.m. in Hong Kong, and roughly half of the employees, 15 people at Sam Bankman-Fried's crypto hedge fund, were present. Uh, Christian Drappi, a former software engineer at Alameda, was one of them. Ten others joined via video from the Bahamas. The Alameda office was across the street from FTX, Bankman Freed's crypto exchange. On Thursday, uh, Drappi took the stand as a government witness in the criminal trial against Bankman Freed, which is taking place uh, 11 months after Alameda and FTX spiraled into bankruptcy. Bankman Freed faces seven federal fraud charges and the potential of life in prison. He's pleaded not guilty. Drappi's appearance on the stand in Manhattan came at the end of Ellison's third day of testimony, included a recording of the Hong Kong meeting. Rick Best, a trader who had joined Alameda just days earlier, was directly to Ellison's right and secretly recording the meeting as audio. The prosecution played multiple clips from the recording, and the defense team played one in cross-examination. To a packed courtroom, Drappi described Ellison's demeanor that night as sunken, he said she was kind of slouching and did not display confident body language. Alameda borrowed a bunch of money, which it used to make investments, Ellison said on the recording, but as crypto prices fell, FTX had a shortfall of user funds, and then users started withdrawing their funds, and they realized they would not be able to continue. Drappi can be heard on the tape asking about FTX's plan to pay back customers. Ellison, who had pleaded guilty to fraud charges and is cooperating with prosecutors, responded that the company would raise money to fill the hole. Drappi told the jury that he was concerned with that response because it's not typical to raise outside money for that purpose. Drappi asked Ellison if Alameda's loans were collateralized through the spot margin group. 
She said they weren't, and Drappy said, that seems pretty bad. Drappy wanted to know if Ellison, from Ellison if this was a, quote, YOLO thing. He was asked in courtroom to explain YOLO and said it's an acronym for you only live once. When you do a YOLO thing, it's something that's spontaneous and not premeditated, Drappy said. I wanted to have Miss Ellison confirm that indeed, you know, they had meetings about this and there was a deliberate decision as I suspected it would be. At one point in the recording, Ellison giggled. Drappy, who said he'd known Ellison for a year and a half, described that as her nervous laughter and said she did it quite often. When she was asked by a staffer whose idea it was to plug Alameda's loan losses with FTX customer money, she said, um, Sam, I guess, and giggled. FTX basically always allowed Alameda to, like, borrow user funds as far as I know, she said on the recording. Drappy re resigned within 24 hours. Drappy started at Alameda on May 30th, 2021. Over the next 18 months, he worked in three offices, Hong Kong, the Bahamas, and San Francisco. He was in Hong Kong as the business was falling apart. In his testimony, Drappy said he observed Bankman Freed working at the Hong Kong office and sat about 40 feet from him there for a couple of months. The two hung out some out of the office, including to play Padel, a hybrid of tennis and squash. Drappy said Bankman Freed maintained direct communications with Alameda employees through the messaging app Signal. He weighed in on large trades and had access to Pointer, Alameda's internal interface, as well as to the firm's backend data. In regard to trading, Drappy referenced one instance in which a senior trader said Sam wanted to do it, referring to a trade involving selling Japanese bonds and buying the currency. Drappy said he spoke to Alameda traders every day. The night before the all-hands meeting, November 8th, Drappy said he was in the office along with Ellison and two traders, Tony Keon and David Nyes. At about 11 p.m., Bankman Freed posted a tweet announcing that Binance was buying FTX and what would amount to a rescue of the exchange. Drappy said the response was shock. The Binance agreement was non-binding. On November 9th, the rival exchange backed out of the deal, and CEO Changpeng Zhao said FTX's issues are beyond our control or ability to help. Two days later, FTX declared bankruptcy. So uh, more evidence that there was this was a really shady deal. And uh, and again, I, I go back to it doesn't matter whether it's a traditional finance company like Bernie Madoff was running Ponzi scheme or uh, a digital Ponzi scheme. The. Uh, the mechanisms, the operation, the fraud, the criminal behavior is the same, which is you get people excited about something, they invest their money, you show them paper returns, you then um, take take that money and use it for whatever you want, and then you save some of it to pay. Uh, you know, you take some of the new money coming in and, you know, give it to the old investors so they feel like they're getting a return and you know you run it as long as you can until it collapses and this one didn't get to run as long as birdie madoffs so uh but it is still interesting to listen to the testimony and and see uh all the details uh, as they come out uh, along those same lines, this was uh, an interesting bit of news uh, that came out of the trial as well. Uh, this uh, article here was posted on October 12th on Cointelegraph. 
And again, I'll include links to all of these articles in the show notes so you can look at it yourself. Uh, this article is entitled, Did SBF Really Use FTX Traders Bitcoin to Keep Bitcoin Price Under 20K? Bitcoin failed to hit $100,000 during the 2021 bull market because defunct exchange FTX kept selling Bitcoin, analysis claims. Uh, in an X, formerly Twitter post on October 12th, Joe Burnett, senior product marketing manager at Bitcoin financial services firm Unchained, joined voices arguing that FTX executives suppressed Bitcoin price strength. As the trial of former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried continues, new, new testimony paints a picture of potential market manipulation. This week, Caroline Ellison, former CEO of affiliated firm Alameda Research, reportedly told the court that Bank Bankman-Fried asked her to sell Bitcoin should its spot price breach 20000 This was done using FTX customer funds, which neither had the right to deploy. Uh, re reacting, Burnett suggested that due to the scale of the operations involved, the entire Bitcoin bull run could have been adversely affected. Alameda was insolvent even during the bull market. It appears they used or borrowed FTX customer Bitcoin and other customer assets to buy SAM coins, FTT, Solana, and Serum, he wrote, referring to reports that Ellison's firm had a negative value of $2.7 billion in 2021. Without this fake sell pressure, maybe Bitcoin would have hit $100,000 in 2021. During the bull run of 2021, Bitcoin US dollar still reached an all-time high of 69,000, but at the time, predictions called for much larger numbers. Among those was the then popular stock-to-flow Bitcoin price model, the creator of which the pseudonymous entity known as Plan B gave a Bitcoin price target of up to $288,000 during the current halving cycle. The worst case scenario, he continued, was $135,000 by December 2021. After Bitcoin failed to reach those levels, S2F and Plan B himself both saw considerable public criticism. While Plan B continues to give optimistic outlooks on where Bitcoin is headed, the SBF debacle is fast becoming a source of amusement on social media. Uh, <laughs> There's a Twitter post here from somebody called Doge Cuban. I can't stop thinking about an alternative timeline where SBF is president of the United States, Bitcoin hits 100,000, FTX token flips Bitcoin, meat is illegal, the U.S. annexes the Bahamas, all women have to, above a three get deported. <laughs> Other disagree. Others disagree with Bankman Fried's motives. Responding to Ellison's testimony, Blockstream CEO and co-founder Adam Back queried whether he genuinely sought to stifle market growth. Uh, and then there's a tweet in here from Adam Back. So that sounds to me more like SBF need US dollar liquidity, sell BTC, but don't sell below 20K and not try to keep BTC under 20K, i.e. below 20K is ridiculously cheap, wait for higher. Hmm. Well, anyway, so that's an interesting take, and, uh, and it certainly may be true that uh, this uh, activity may have um, uh, resulted in market suppression of Bitcoin price. Next up, uh, this is from Bitcoin.com. This was posted yesterday. Um, articles entitled, Deadline for SEC Appeal Against Grayscale's Spot Bitcoin ETF Ruling Expires. 
the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has not appealed a court decision in favor of Grayscale's bid to convert its Bitcoin trust, GBTC, to a spot Bitcoin exchange-traded fund. The crypto asset manager had challenged the SEC's move to deny the conversion. The regulator had 45 days to file an appeal and hasn't done so at the time of writing. Earlier on Friday, people with knowledge of the situation quoted by Reuters and Bloomberg revealed before the midnight deadline that the commission did not plan to appeal the late August decision of the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit, which overturned the SEC's rejection of Grayscale's attempt. Grayscale sued the SEC, arguing that as the regulator had previously approved some surveillance agreements to prevent fraud in Bitcoin futures ETFs, the same approach should apply to its spot Bitcoin ETF, since both types of funds rely on the price of Bitcoin. Circuit judge presiding over the Grayscale SEC case described the commission's denial as arbitrary and capricious, as the agency had failed to explain the different treatment of similar products. With a spot Bitcoin ETF, investors would gain exposure to the leading cryptocurrency without the need to own it. The crypto industry and financial market players have been trying to obtain regulatory approval for this type of offering. While the U.S. SEC greenlighted ETF holding Bitcoin futures in 2021, it is yet to give the nod to a spot Bitcoin ETF. After rejecting such applications in the past, this year the securities regulator accepted for review, several proposals, including that of financial powerhouse BlackRock. However, the Commission has postponed its final say on a number of applications. In September, the SEC delayed its decisions on those of BlackRock, Valkyrie, Bitwise, Invesco, ARC21 shares, GlobalX, and others. It had deferred its judgment on seven funds, including those of WisdomTree, Vinac, and Fidelity at the end of August. The SEC has until next year to make up its mind. In the case with Grayscale, the appeals court is expected to issue a mandate specifying how its decision should be executed, which may include instructing the SEC to revisit the company's application, Reuters noted in its report. Bloomberg analyst James Seifert commented in a tweet that dialogue between the applicant and the regulators should begin next week. Um, so it seems, it seems like the ETFs will eventually be approved probably not until next year uh they'll probably wait to the bitter end um bullish for price yes um but this isn't really the way to own bitcoin so um it's sort of a a way of financially regulatorily capturing bitcoin um so uh, it's far better to self-custody and uh hold your own keys <clears throat> but for a lot of institutions and some individuals that have brokerage accounts and have money in there and don't really want to pull the money out and deal with self-custody, they're going to do this. So um, it's a mixed blessing, I guess, or, you know, there's, there's, there's pros and cons to, to the uh, launch of the ETFs. I have been saying, and I think that it seems like the, uh, ETFs getting approved in early next uh, calendar year may coincide or be around the time of the Bitcoin halving when the issuance uh, you know, of the new coins upon mining a block gets cut in half, which is sometime in April. And um, I mean, we'll see what's happening with the economy, but if the 
uh, Fed's still on hold with interest rates or if they even start cutting uh, or adding otherwise adding liquidity to the market, which it sounds like from J.B. Diamond's commentary that the market's liquidity is drying up fast and you can't operate the fiat system without adequate liquidity, that all these three things could converge and you know it could be quite an interesting bull market. But in the meantime, we'll just stay, stay humble and stack stats. Next is uh, an article from Cointelegraph. This was posted on October 13th. Little update from Madeira, who announces a the creation of a Bitcoin business hub for innovation. President of the regional government of Madeira, Miguel Albuquerque, has announced plans to create a Bitcoin business hub to drive regional innovation. Statement was made during a fireside chat with Prince Philip uh, Karodivic of Serbia on the second day of Bitcoin Amsterdam 2023. And I'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, later on in the podcast. Uh, Kara Dordevic expressed interest in the new Bitcoin business hub, emphasizing its role in technology development and partnerships with Albuquerque, noting the hub's origins in Madeira and its inclusive collaboration opportunities. According to Albuquerque, the idea for the Bitcoin business hub started with a group of hardworking professionals and is open to everyone who wants to collaborate. Madeira is an autonomous region of Portugal that has embraced Bitcoin by implementing policies that exempt Bitcoin investors from paying personal income taxes in the region. It's also an island. It's beautiful, too. I've seen pictures of it. Kara Dordovic commended Madeira's Bitcoin embrace as a forward-looking technology and a secure open protocol similar to the Internet, a known Bitcoin advocate and chief security officer of Jan3, the Serbian prince uh, lobbies global lawmakers on the advantages of national Bitcoin adoption. According to the Madeiran president, his government is shifting the region's economic focus toward technology, high-tech industries, artificial intelligence, and Bitcoin. During the Bitcoin Miami conference in 2022, it was revealed that Madeira would adopt Bitcoin with residents who invest in Bitcoin being exempt from personal income taxes. Albuquerque stated, I have faith in the future and in Bitcoin. People in Madeira who engage in buying and selling Bitcoin won't have tax obligations related to personal income. Uh, so that's pretty awesome. We love Madeira. All right, next is from Bitcoin Magazine. Um, this is an interesting article. Uh, this was posted on October 13th entitled Piecing Together the Prehistory of Bitcoin with Aaron Von Weirdham's The Genesis Books. It's just a little quick summary of a book that was published recently. Um, this is a quote from the cover synopsis. Contrary to popular belief, Bitcoin did not appear out of nothing. For decades prior to Satoshi Nakamoto introducing his invention, a diverse group of computer scientists, privacy activists, and heterodox economists tried to create a digital form of money that could operate independently of government control. The Genesis book tells the story of the people and the projects that inspired the invention of the world's first successful peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. Aaron Von Weirdham's long-awaited book goes through the prehistory of everything that led up to the creation of Bitcoin. So many individual ideas and concepts went into the creation of Bitcoin that people tend to forget the history of those pieces before Satoshi glued them together into the Bitcoin protocol we know today. 
The Genesis book gives the readers a long walk through the history of both the people and cultural movements spawned out of the early rise of the hacker community and how these cultural movements and their respective ethos uh, shaped the technologies themselves that were produced. The ethos and mentality of the members of early counterculture groups like the cypherpunks and extropians laid the ideological foundation of the cultures we see thriving in Bitcoin today. These same people also laid the technical foundations Bitcoin itself was built upon through early attempts at digital cash systems like David Chaum's eCash to Wayday's B-Money, concepts like Adam Back's Hashcash and Hal Finney's reusable proof-of-work also began the slow road towards Bitcoin's proof-of-work consensus system. For anyone who wants to truly understand the prehistory of Bitcoin and the people and technological inventions that laid the groundwork for Satoshi's gift to us, this book is a must-read. Uh, there's a link here. It says the book is available for pre-order. The link... Uh, with shipments expected to go out starting on January 3rd, 2024. So might be one to put on my reading list after I finish Lynn Alden's Broken Money and Murray Rothbard, What Has Government Done to Our Money? So I already have a little bit of a backlog. Last book I read was The um, Creature from Jekyll Island. Highly recommend that book if you haven't read it. Um, it's an eye-opener. It's actually a good history lesson, and there's a lot of... Uh, it's written in a very entertaining manner, so it's uh, an easy read at 600-ish pages. Okay, moving on. Um, this is kind of a new one. This is from Decrypt. was posted on October 12th. Compute anything on Bitcoin? What you need to know about BitVM. Bitcoin took a leap this week. Bitcoin developer Robin Linus released a paper on Tuesday called BitVM Compute Anything on Bitcoin, which proposes a way to take advantage of more complicated smart contracts on Bitcoin that have been possible in the past, than have been possible in the past. Smart contracts are essential computer code that runs applications on blockchain networks. Pseudonymous developer SuperTestNet boldly proclaimed that this is probably the most exciting discovery in the history of Bitcoin. Bitcoin script. Better smart contracts in the same vein as second largest cryptocurrency Ethereum has long been a Bitcoin holy grail. BitVM enabling similar functionality potentially enables developers to more easily build more complex applications than before, pushing Bitcoin forward. Though not everyone is convinced BitVM deserves the attention it's getting, if it works, BitVM could have wide effects on what can possibly be built on top of Bitcoin. Uh, this guy, Dan Robinson, commented, this is getting way too much attention in Bitcoin world. The protocol only works for two parties, so it can't be used in rollups or other multi-party applications. And Greg Maxwell proposed a much better protocol, ZK Contingent Payments, to solve the same problem 12 years ago. In the paper, Linus lists sidechains and rollups, tech that's all the rage in crypto these days, as potential applications. Sidechains are networks that run parallel to blockchains while rollups bundle up transactions before ultimately being reported on the main network. Both are used to help scale blockchain networks such as Ethereum, which typically can only handle a dozen or so transactions per second due to design limitations. But the most exciting application, Linus told Decrypt, he thinks it's scaling Bitcoin to millions of transactions for Bitcoin to become the most used currency on Earth. 
Perhaps the most promising aspect of the proposal is that it works on Bitcoin today, not needing any soft fork additions to Bitcoin, which are difficult to execute. Bitcoin's last soft fork taproot, for instance, took years to be put into place since developers had to test and make sure it worked correctly. Without getting too far into the weeds, BitVM introduces a way to execute smart contracts off-chain so that all these computations don't clog up Bitcoin's limited space. On Bitcoin's base layer, it can only handle roughly a maximum of 4 megabytes of data a minute. That's not a lot. As long as both parties collaborate, they can perform arbitrarily complex, stateful, off-chain computation without leaving any trace in the chain. On-chain execution is required only in the case of a dispute, the paper explained. In an abstract sense, the works similarly to the Lightning Network, widely trumpeted as the future of Bitcoin payments, since it also uses an off-chain mechanism to scale Bitcoin transactions. Though there's a lot of excitement around the new idea, the paper has been met with some skepticism from Bitcoin developers as well. Among the other technical sparring, one criticism is that even though computations are done off-chain, verification on-chain could still have a hefty overhead. The BitVM proposal says it won't add a ton of volume to the network, which would cause gas fees to spike like they did when ordinals served and surged in popularity. But others also point out that the proposal requires a lot of interactivity between the two parties, something that developers try to get around as much as they can. But Linus thinks these problems can be solved with time. The paper was intended to describe the idea in simple terms, spark interest in the community, and is not a full solution yet, Linus told Decrypt. However, this paradigm enables a huge novel design space, he added, and I think it is quite likely that we do find complete solutions soon. So this is an interesting development. Um, I don't really have an opinion on it yet, um, but I think um, certainly um, sounds interesting and uh, we'll have to keep an eye on it. And finally, uh, since I watched a couple videos, uh, well, two actually, and I started watching a third one from this conference and I didn't even know it was happening, which is pretty sad. Uh, I thought I would go through this uh, article uh, that sort of recaps Bitcoin Amsterdam. Uh, so it just concluded this past week. Uh, and they have all the um, videos uh, from the conference uh, are available and they're all out on YouTube as well. And Rumble and X, I think. So Europe's largest Bitcoin conference, Bitcoin Amsterdam, is now accessible to a global audience as all video from the event has been uploaded to video platforms, including YouTube, Rumble, and X. Concluding this Friday, the event featured a remarkable lineup of speakers and discussions on Bitcoin and the global freedom movement. The second year for the event, organizers estimate nearly 2,500 enthusiasts came from around the world to discuss how Bitcoin is leading to a new age of financial freedom for citizens around the world. Key highlights from day one include Edward Snowden discusses Bitcoin. The renowned whistleblower expressed his excitement about Bitcoin, underscoring the significance of financial privacy and decentralization in an increasingly surveilled world. Reiterating his stance, Snowden emphasized that Bitcoin is positioned to strip power away from authoritarian regimes, further highlighting its potential as a tool for individual empowerment. I actually watched that one and it's really good. Highly recommend. Stella Assang addresses WikiLeaks Ordinal's protests. The wife of renowned journalist Julian Assang broke her silence on the mysterious project Spartacus, 
which is attempting to store forever the entire contents of the Afghan war logs on the Bitcoin blockchain. She went on to argue Bitcoin is opening up a new frontier for freedom via decentralized and immutable publishing. And I also watched that one. It's really good, too. Eva Vlaringderbrock gets orange-pilled. New to Bitcoin, the firebrand Dutch political commentator made a massive debut at the event, downloading her first Lightning wallet, receiving her first Bitcoin, and discussing her belief that Bitcoin can be a tool to limit government crackdowns of free speech in the face of the disappearance of cash in her home country. Uh, Key highlights from day two, Prince Philip of Serbia, we talked about this one earlier, the Royal acknowledged Bitcoin as an open secure protocol akin to the internet and emphasized its role as a technology for the future, echoing the sentiment of a bright and decentralized financial future. President of Madeira, the president welcomed all things related in bit to Bitcoin in Madeira, announcing the launch of a Bitcoin business hub aimed at fostering local innovation, this endorsement from regional leadership is a notable development in the cryptocurrency space. Middle ground found on ordinals, a fireside with Bitcoin Magazine editor Pete Rizzo and RGB creator Giacomo Zucco presented a more measured conversation on the protocol, its technical merits, and why some in the Bitcoin community are looking for better ways to verify data using the protocol. And uh, those are the highlights. So I'll, I'll put a link to this uh, in the show notes, and then you should be able to get to the videos from there. And uh, just wanted to mention this week's Substack post. Please check it out. It's entitled The Taxation of Bitcoin in the United States and Beyond. So a little bit of a deep dive into Bitcoin and taxes. Uh, since I'm an accountant by trade, of course, I like to delve into those topics from time to time. All right. Thanks for listening uh, to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like, leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Um, if you're not listening to it on Fountain, you probably should be because you can stack SAS just for listening to your favorite shows every week. Uh, it's a little bit random. Sometimes you listen and you don't get any, and other times you get one sap per minute for 60 minutes, and other times you get a whole bunch. So it's, it's uh, you know, kind of, uh, it's always uh, interesting to see how many saps you'll get for listening. But I listen to all the podcasts uh, that I follow on Fountain now. So um, you can also follow my Substack. It's located at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. I post twice a week, usually Wednesdays and Saturdays. And uh, you can follow me on Noster. My NPUB uh, is included in the show notes. And um, I don't uh, do ads or uh, I don't believe in ads. I don't believe in, um, uh, you know, getting sponsorships or anything like that. I just, if you like my work, send me some sats. There's a, there's a link to my Lightning Wallet um, in my uh, Substack on all my posts. Uh, or... If you listen on Fountain, uh, send me some sats on Fountain, value for value. But that's, I believe, the future. I don't like advertising. I don't like shilling. I think, you know, you produce good content. If people like it, they'll support you. That's how it should be for creators. Anyway, that will wrap it up. Talk to you now all next week. Bye-bye.